Travel is a field laboratory that learning business professionals can use to better understand and serve their learners. Whether a trip is short or long, near or far, done alone or with others, travel offers an opportunity to learn. I'm Salisa Steele. I'm Jeff Cobb, and this is the Leading Learning Podcast. In the last episode, the two of us recorded, Jeff, you and I talked about reading as a way to not only avoid summer learning loss, but to actually make gains. And then we each shared three books that we plan to read this summer. That's right. And another way to make learning gains during a break, like the long summer break traditional in North America, is through travel. Ah, and I love to travel. I know you do too. And so we decided to devote this episode to talking about travel as a learning opportunity. And you and I have a mix of experiences to draw on. We've each traveled independently for work and for pleasure. And we've also traveled together for both work and pleasure. Right. Past tense. We have traveled solo and together for work and not work. And we also have some upcoming travel planned for this summer, so future tense. So we have plenty of fodder for our discussion. But an interesting question we had to grapple with was how to structure this conversation because I feel like there's a lot to say about travel and learning. Yeah, definitely yeah, tough to, to structure, but we're going to attempt to give structure to our conversation around four main points reasons for travel, types of learning travel, what can be learned from travel, and choices in travel. All right, so we'll use those four points as kind of the framework for our discussion, and we'll dig in with that first point around reasons for travel. And I feel like we need to just acknowledge upfront that not all travel is for learning. Some people might choose to travel more for relaxation. Some might travel for rejuvenation or some might even travel to fulfill a duty. And of course, you know, that's just saying that learning is not the the direct purpose of, of those types of travel, those trips. But, you know, we're always learning and uh, you can certainly learn on those types of, of trips. But uh, but whether learning is a, a clear focus or not is going to inform the kind of choices you make about what to do or or what options you have about how to, to spend your time when you travel. Right, and I know you recently pointed me to an interview with Kevin Kelly, where he specifically talks about travel as a means of learning. Yeah, and you talk talk about somebody who's an interesting traveler, just an interesting person in general. Kevin Kelly, of course, uh, a founder of Wired Magazine and sort of a uh, just a real icon, I guess, in the in the the whole tech world. And um, it sounds like most of what he does now is is travel. He actually started out as a travel photographer, and he's back to doing a, a lot of that work right now. And as you said, he he says he travels mainly for learning. And uh, one of the ways he describes it, and I think we'll talk about this some more in our conversation here, is that uh, he views travel as a chance to en- encounter to confront the other. Uh, otherness. Um, so things that are just different from what he's going to get in his ordinary life and um, says he comes back with a new sense of what's possible. And, uh, you know, I think that's a great reason to travel. I think it's a, a reason that I certainly share with Kevin. I don't think I'd thought about it quite as, as explicitly before, but that whole idea of, yeah, getting out there and, and just really seeing what the other possibilities are and starting to integrate those into to how you think about your own life going forward. 
right? So again, not all travel is for learning, but it can be a powerful tool for learning. And if you put that lens on your trips, that's going to lead you to make certain decisions and choices about what you do or don't do, what you do or don't see. Now, the second area we wanted to talk about was was types of learning travel. And just two big buckets that come to mind are formal and informal travel for learning. Yeah, I mean, so obviously you can uh, choose to go on a on a structured type of trip, you know, a study abroad type program. I know you've done that sort of thing. That's right. I spent my junior year of college in Bordeaux. So I, for those months, went and studied in France. So I was uh, practicing my French. I was a, a dual major in uh, undergraduate, both in English and French. That was obviously, I was doing all of that coursework in French. So even as I was also studying art and literature and things like that, I was doing it all in French. And that was that deeply immersive experience um, in the language and in the culture. And I've done similar things in in Russia and Poland back in the day. I have to say that feels like an awfully long time <laughs> ago. Um, but I, do, I, you know, I'm not sure how much I uh, still recall of the language aspect, but the culture aspect and just what that opened up for me. And going back to that idea of you know otherness, just different experience, and uh, how that influences your life forward. And uh, you know, and there are plenty of programs out there for people to engage in, in different types of formal learning. You know, my my, my folks have done. Uh, those road scholar trips with a uh, road being ROAD kind of a clever play on the uh, the prestigious uh, award that you can get for um, learning related travel you know and that's a that's a nonprofit organization road scholar is that, that provides educational travel programs that are primarily geared towards older adults and of course we see a lot of this kind of travel for learning or at least the the sort of conscious intentional travel for learning often happen with older adults because they now have some time and some resources to be able to do that sort of thing. You know, and I said that we had sort of these two buckets of types of learning travel, formal and informal. And yet again, I think maybe rather than buckets, we should be talking about a spectrum because you have something like a junior year abroad, which is um, more rigorous, right? I I had multiple courses and and that type of thing. Um, Our son is going to study in Sevilla this summer. That's just two weeks, but it's still a structured class, but it's a little maybe less formal. And I think it's only half day with the idea that the other half of the day is spent exploring the city and and learning more of the cultural side of things. And then you have uh, even more informal, but still in the formal bucket, something like Rhodes Scholar, where it's really a trip and you're really there for the culture aspect of it, but it is structured and it does have that educational clear focus to it. Yeah, and I think it's nice when there when there can be a, a combination of the two. I mean, even when we, you know, do travel as a as a family and are just sort of going out on our own, I mean, you know, we've we've got kind of a schedule and agenda, different things we're trying to do along the way to, to try to structure it some, which I think helps, you know, give give some focus, bring a little bit of uh, clarity to the chaos. But then, you know, you know, so much of the, the stuff that's really going to be impactful is going to pop up in places you weren't even expecting, that you hadn't been thinking about, that you hadn't been planning for, those conversations you're going to have or those things you're going to stumble into walking down the street. I can remember, for example, being in, in Venice uh, as a family once, and we discovered this little little museum just because we happened to have a museum pass that would get us into it. And it was one of the, the absolute And someone gyms. needed to use the bathroom. And someone <laughs> needed to use the bathroom. So we weren't planning on going there, but it was, yeah, it was someplace we could go for that purpose. And it turned out to be an amazing little place. Yeah, it was a lovely museum. I think it was my favorite 
museum in Venice that had some amazing little insect sculptures made of metal. And it was mm-hmm. just uh, sort of fantastical and just to have stumbled upon it and not necessarily intended to go there. So we sort of started moving into what I originally called a bucket, the informal bucket. Now I'm talking more about it as a spectrum. On that informal side, I would put things like leisure travel, which I think we can talk about a little bit more in a minute. But I would also put the idea of travel that maybe comes with a learning experience, but isn't really the focus of Mm -hmm. the learning experience. So for example, place-based learning events. Think about that conference where you go to a specific city and you're there for a number of days. Um, We recently had the opportunity to do that. We went to a conference in Cleveland, Ohio. That's right. That was the Creator Economy Expo. And uh, um, she's in in, in Cleveland. And so being in Cleveland, you know, wanted to take advantage of some of of what's there. Obviously, we were going to learn things at the conference. We went to sessions and did that sort of thing. That was kind of that formal part of it. But just having that idea that we were going to do some things while we were there, one of the things that was there that was, you know, dear to my heart on on my personal bucket list uh, was the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. So we did spend uh, an afternoon in the in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and um, you know, of course, that's that's a museum. It's it, it's it's structured, so there's that sort of formal element to it. But just uh, you know, like anything, just the experience of of being able to walk around and see those those faces that that, that you recognize from the history of, of music, and uh, you know, it, it, it provides this sort of you know reflection space when you're in an, an atmosphere like that. But that was that was because we did take advantage uh, of being in that place to access that particular resource. And that was on us. We carved out the time, right. we made the effort, we booked the tickets to, to go see the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Sometimes you have conference organizers that do some of that lifting mm-hmm. for participants. So they might you know, organize dine around towns or you know, where you meet up and go out to local restaurants with a group of other conference attendees, or they might have that 5K that, you know, runs you through the city's downtown or do yoga with a a great view of the beach. You know, sometimes those conference organizers are trying to take advantage of place and give you a view into where it is that you are gathering for this learning experience. I will say as sort of an aside, if you are someone in charge of planning those kinds of things or working with people who plan those kinds of things, you have to carve out time to allow people to benefit from being in the location. We couldn't have gone to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame if there had been sessions scheduled all day and all night. You know, there have to be breaks. Yeah, it is something that I often I find tough with going to conferences. You have the ones where things start at, you know, seven o'clock in the morning and then run through receptions at eight o'clock at night. And, you know, unless you're just going to miss something, you really can't do anything else while you're there. But I think one of the key lessons in this, though, is even if you're going on business travel, something that, you know, is not defined as kind of or isn't explicitly about learning, you can decide that uh, aside from if it's a conference, of course, you're going to do some learning at the conference. But aside from whatever you're going to be doing that is business focused, there's plenty you can do that uh, helps you learn in, in, in other ways, whether it's taking advantage of something like, you know, going to a museum or whether it's just like the last time I was in New York, I made a point of actually going out and, and walking around. I went running in, in Central Park and just getting a better feel of the place. Because so often if you're doing business travel, you can just get cooped up in the conference center or the, the hotel rooms or, or whatever, and just don't get much of a feel for the place where you are. And that that is a form of learning. So another type of travel on the informal end of the spectrum is this idea of leisure travel. And I will say that I have trouble with the 
term to use. I don't know, leisure travel doesn't necessarily feel right because sometimes the kind of travel that we do in this category can feel a little too rigorous <laughs> to, mm. to feel like leisure. So I don't know, maybe discretionary travel is is a better term here, where this is basically the kind of travel where you have more choice about where to go and what to see and do. Yeah, and I think with this kind of travel, you, you do have to be, um, I think we'll get into the choices about travel, but one thing here is you don't want to choose to do too much uh, with that kind of travel, as you're saying. It can it can start to feel, well, not like leisure um, very quickly, which may be fine, but you, you have to have your limits. Kevin Kelly says one of the you know, main mistakes he makes in traveling is just simply trying to do too much, you know, trying to go too many places, see too many things in, in what's almost always a, a limited period of time, so being conscious of that. But this is where you get to choose activities that really do have an intentional learning bent to them often. Things like going to museums Mm -hmm. to take in art, um, going to opera houses or bars for that matter to experience live music, theaters for plays. But you can also get into things like restaurants for food and, you know, local culinary um, dishes and and focuses. You can also do things like go to farmer's markets where you get a, a real feel for, you know, what is in season or what are, what are the different vegetables or fruits that you might see that you don't typically see somewhere else. So all of those things can provide ample ways to learn. Yeah. You know, and I think a, a thread running through this too is kind of no matter what your reasons for traveling are, you know, if you're there to relax mainly, you're there to rejuvenate or you have some sort of duty you, you have to fulfill, whether that's business or with relatives, whatever those reasons are that are driving you, even if you haven't said, I'm here explicitly to learn, you can just find so many opportunities for learning in any of those situations. Uh, so much of it's just about having the mindset and saying that I'm, I'm going to take advantage of this as an opportunity to learn. As someone who listens to the Leading Learning Podcast, you should know about the Leading Learning Newsletter, which you can subscribe to at leadinglearning.com slash inbox. The newsletter is inbox intelligence for learning businesses and helps you understand the latest technology, marketing, and learning trends, and grow your learning business. Best of all, it's a free resource. As a subscriber, you get Leading Links, our monthly curated collection of resources to help you grow the reach revenue, and impact of your learning business. The Podcast Digest, a monthly summary of podcast episodes released during the previous month, plus periodic announcements highlighting leading learning webinars and other educational opportunities designed to benefit learning business professionals. Subscribe for free at leadinglearning.com slash inbox. And if you're already subscribed, point a colleague to leadinglearning.com slash inbox. So let's talk a little bit about what can be learned from travel. And one of the things that occurred to me as I was reflecting on this is that I feel like travel reinforces this idea of pre, during, and post, which we usually want to think about with Mm -hmm. any learning experience when we're trying to design that. They're going to tend to be things that you need to do beforehand. And then, of course, you're going to be there and focused on the learning during it. And then usually there's going to be something that you want to do after that learning experience. And I feel like traveling really reinforces that because it makes you live it out. I mean, you have to do some type of prep for traveling, even if it's as simple as gassing up the car or booking a a train or plane ticket. Yeah. And I I think it's just, uh, 
something that goes with with getting older, particularly with having kids. Um, I think the pre part has gotten much more intense than it used to be in the past. I get the first time I took a, you know, like a really big trip, I, it really felt like I was just sort of getting on the plane with a let's go and figuring it out, you know, and I just I don't think I could quite do that uh, anymore for for a lot of different reasons. Well, and I think we'll talk a little bit later about the idea of who you travel with. So probably mm-hmm. part of the reason um, you had more flexibility or didn't have as much need to do as much upfront was the fact that it was just you and you really only had to sort of serve yourself. But yeah, that pre part can be fairly intense. You can, of course, spend a lot of time reading up on a location and kind of hearkening back to the episode uh, that we released just before this, when you and I were talking about reading, you, you can read both fiction and nonfiction to get a sense of of place. Yeah, and and of course, if you're going someplace that speaks a, a different language, studying some of the language is a is a great way just to get a better feel for it. Even if if you even if you're not somebody who feels like you're going to be able to show up there and truly be able to communicate, still just having a little bit of a, a sense of the the vocabulary, some of the, the common terms, and, and even being able to have that in your mind as you as you then hear the language when you get there again is that is that otherness, and you kind of just get a, a deeper sense of a place through through knowing the language, and it can pay off to know a, a little <laughs> bit of the language. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking of um, we were traveling in Croatia and we had spent time as a family learning a few phrases and keywords, you know, just things like please and thank you and good morning, that type of thing. And um, we were in a little grocery store getting some some food and I sort of elbowed the kids to say, you know, thank you in Croatian at the end. And this sort of grumpy sales clerk looked at them after they said thank you in Croatian and reached down underneath and pulled out a box of candy and let them each pick out a, a piece of candy. I don't think she was going to offer them candy until they said thank you in Croatian. Yeah, I mean, generally speaking, people appreciate it if you're making just some level of attempt to, to communicate in the um, in the native language. I, you know, I, I fear Americans have a little bit of that image as you know the the ugly American where uh, we expect everybody to speak English everywhere and and of course you know much of the world does speak English but still you know people appreciate it if you if you make that effort to uh, to communicate. Well, I love languages and so I do get a kick out of trying to to learn a little bit of the language anywhere we're going to be. But I will say that I am also a bit of a chicken when it comes to trying it out. Sometimes, especially if I only know. A handful of words. It can feel like, of course, they're going to know much more English than I know of whatever their language is. A few summers ago, we stayed in a Hogan um, on Navajo land, and I had been learning a little bit of Navajo through um, Duolingo, but I never actually busted any of it out with our, our hostess there. I just It just wound up not feeling quite uh, appropriate, but I'm still glad that I put in the effort and, and learned a little bit about the language. I think that helped make that experience staying in that traditional hogan on, on that reservation just that much more meaningful. Yeah, I mean, so much uh, about culture is embedded in language. So again, just you know, knowing a little bit sort of changes the experience and a quick shout out there to, to Duolingo too. I mean, what you, what you can now do with learning languages is just absolutely mind blowing. I mean, back in the day, I had to rely on you know those little Berlitz phrase books or whatever uh, going someplace, and, and now you can really immerse yourself and and, and get a decent command of a, of a language before going somewhere. And I will say that on the pre side, I think there's a lot to be said for preparation prior to travel. Um, It can help make sure that you do get what you want out of a a trip to a place. 
But I do think that there's also a place for serendipity and that can be okay. And sometimes it can pay off. We already shared about the museum in, in Venice we hadn't meant to uh, travel to. But I will say that I think that I think it's Louis Pasteur gets credited with saying chance favors the prepared mind. So I tend to lean towards the side of knowing a little bit about where it is you're going and that that can help you get the most out of it. And I know that we learned something after going to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame that if we had done our homework in advance, might have changed things a little bit. Sure. Like the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame had the the garage uh, where they had all these instruments, you know, hooked up uh, electric guitars, basses, keyboards. They had you know studios with drum sets in them that you could just go in there and do whatever you you know wanted on, um, basically. And uh, yeah, we just didn't really have enough time to, to take advantage of that. We didn't know it was there. And I, I would have loved to have uh, spent some time doing that. I do. I play the guitar, play some keyboards, I play some drums. It would have been fun to do all of that. I didn't get a a chance to, but yeah, I think, you know, I've become more and more a fan of preparation because I think it does help trips pay off. But to be honest, you know, we could do many, many uh, uh, hours of this type of episode just talking about the serendipitous experiences that have come up during travel. And I have to say those tend to be the ones that I remember the the most, you know, that have the most impact uh, on me. So that's a little bit about pre and its relationship to traveling. If we talk about deering and travel, I mean, again, that can be more or less intense. And so if it's sort of on the less intense end, it might just be really more about showing up and going to the museum or going to the restaurant or doing whatever you've sort of set out for yourself. On the more intense side might be making sure that you have time for journaling or at least taking notes about what you saw and did and beginning to build in some of that time for reflection, but doing while it's still fresh in your mind. Yeah. And I've, I've always journaled to, to some extent, um, as I've been traveling, I've, you know, sometimes I've been sloppy about it or not done it as much. And I've always regretted it later because, you know, memory is just so, so poor and, it, and it's nice to be able to go back and really have documented. And it can be very simple, just, you know, a few points about what you did that day. It can, it can help to, to spark your memories and, and bring back what was engaging about that particular place and kind of bring it back to, to life for you. So anybody who is traveling, uh, boy, taking notes, doing just, and it can be the simplest thing, but uh, doing that and then keeping it as a record to be able to go back to. And I think there's whatever you will have on your agenda, a particular museum or a particular play or a particular site, but then there's also what goes along with it, which can be things like the transportation, or it can be even just the simple going to a grocery store. I remember in you know Madrid, we went to the Reina Sofia Museum, and I remember some of the great art that was there, but I really feel like from my time in Spain, I learned probably as much at the Mercadona, which is the, one of the, the local store. <laughs> grocery stores, because it was amazing. You had all this sort of perfect just-in-time learning opportunities because you had these little signs telling you exactly what that fruit was or what that vegetable was. And it was, so it was helping me expand my vocabulary right there in the moment of need. So that was a, a great little learning opportunity. Uh, and I think that's always one of the best things to do when you're in a, a country that is not your native language. Really kind of the more other uh, a country feels going to play is like, you know, the grocery store, the everyday things that people have to do and, and experiencing what that's like uh, is just always illuminating. And then during travel, there are usually tons of opportunities to deconstruct the experience. So there's sort of this metacognition piece that can go along with travel. And I've been particularly thinking about this in light of your conversation with Dr. Susie Wise, mm. Jeff, who 
you talk to her about belonging and of course sort of the flip side of belonging being this othering you've already mentioned kevin kelly sort of talking about travel as a way to experience the other and otherness i think it's really interesting to reflect on your own experience in a place and that can be the city or country as a whole or could even just be more in the museum or in the restaurant but how does a place make you feel yeah and i mean and of course in in some places that's much more a a stark contrast than than others i mean i can remember landing in in ghana the first time i I went to africa and um you know emerging from the airport and it was really the first time in my life where i was just clearly the minority um a caucasian male and in the in the presence of, of, of uh, Africans, you know, um, and, uh, and standing out, like clearly, you know, called out, I was the other at that point, had similar experience in, in China, being surrounded everywhere by, by Asian faces and Asian language. I'm clearly the minority. I'm clearly the other. And that, that's an impactful experience. Yeah, similar experience for me. I did a couple of summer language study programs in college where I had probably some of my first experiences of just very visibly not fitting in. I did a a summer in Irbid, Jordan, studying Arabic. Again, I just didn't really have a hope of blending in there. I stood out. And then I did another summer program in, in Seoul, South Korea, studying Korean. Again, just I did not look like the other folks around me. Before I showed up in Jordan, I had been studying Arabic, so I was able to to read and to speak. When I arrived in South Korea, I was just beginning to study Korean, and so I I couldn't I didn't look like others. I couldn't read. I couldn't speak. So I, you know I was effectively illiterate, and it was very humbling and this you know reminder of what it can be like when you don't know anything. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I think that one of the other things that I find interesting about travel is the experience of time. Mm-hmm. And there have been a number of studies around this and, and folks writing on it, but the idea is that novelty tends to slow down time or slow down our perception of time. And so, you know, if you're in a uh, city that is new to you and you're dealing with uh, transportation that's not what you usually take at home and you're dealing with the supermarket where you have to look for different foods, all that novelty can really slow down your perception of time which in some ways can be a real gift. It means that you have this, this sense of a long period of time elapsing whenever you're someplace new. Yeah, I mean, we, we've both been fortunate, and we should probably touch on that at some point, that you know, a lot of what we're describing here, we've been very fortunate to have the opportunity to do. Like the, the type of traveling we're talking about is obviously not open to everybody. I, I wish it were, but we've been fortunate to you know, be in places for three, four, five, six weeks or, or months at a time. But I, I know, you know on those three, four, five-week trips, it feels like you're gone for months, you know, by, by the time you come home. And I think it is, you know, what you're saying about sort of time slowing. And of course, the truth is, too, it can be it can be kind of draining to travel for any length of time. It, uh, that, that novelty is is tiring, particularly if you're dealing with a different language that can be very cognitively draining as part of the travel experience. And again, I think that can be a good insight for us as learning business professionals to keep in mind how learners might feel when they show up for some of our offerings, you know, where they don't feel comfortable, where the cognitive effort we're asking of them is significantly high and just how draining that can be, just how 
othered they might feel. Yeah, it's a great meta exercise for anybody in, in the learning business to be thinking about those those sorts of things as you are in that othered experience, you know, as you are having to, to learn things, experience things that are new and different. How is that making you feel? And as you said, you know, draw an, an analogy between that and the types of experiences that you're asking people to, to participate in. When we mentioned reading as part of the potential pre phase of travel, but of course you can read while you're in a location. Yeah, and back to Kevin Kelly, again, this is what he says he likes to do is to um, to read in a location and to read about the location that he's actually in. Like he likes really being immersed there. And I, I kind of share that. I can remember you mentioned Croatia earlier when we were in Croatia, I read Balkan Ghost, which is a piece of nonfiction about that region and, and its history, which was fascinating. I can remember I was very fortunate to be able to take the, the Trans-Siberian Railroad once upon a time from China into Russia. And, and I read Tolstoy along the way, you know, and arrived in Moscow and sort of had this whole different, you know, perception of, of Russia by that point. And we already touched on this a little bit, but during the during phase of travel, there can be the danger of doing too much. I mean, that's something that Kevin Kelly cited as, mm-hmm. as his own weakness is trying to do too much. And again, if we want to apply the meta lens on this and think about it from a learning business professional standpoint, you know, I think we might have to be willing to cut just as we're going to ask our subject matter experts to cut down to the essential. You need to think about what is it you really want to get out of a a travel experience, because sometimes if you try to do too much, it can all just blur together. You don't really have a crisp memory of any particular site or museum or anything because you tried to cram in so much. Yeah. Yeah. And speaking about memory, we should talk a a little bit about the the post uh, phase here. And, um, you know, because I I find that I, I do forget a lot from my travels. It's one of the reasons that I do something like journal along the way, but just like with any learning experience, you got to go back, you got to review, you got to reflect, you got to recover that territory. So going back to journals occasionally, going back to to photos occasionally, we, we tr- try to make a point, we need to be better about it, um, you know, with our family of going back and looking at the photos from past trips, just to kind of jog everybody's memory, have some conversation about it, uh, keep that alive, see, see how it feels to us now with having some distance and some perspective on it, continuing to, to read about places. All of these are part of the overall learning experience that travel can provide. The fourth and final area we wanted to give some attention to is choices in travel. And one of the key choices is the choice of where. And so with reading, there's always the choice of a new book or do I go back to a book that I love and reread it? And of course, the same can apply to travel. Do you return to a place that you've already been or do you go to a new place? I'll insert here again, too, that simply having the choice to, mm-hmm. to travel, of course, is a privilege and, and something that, that shouldn't be taken lightly. But I'd also say, you know, even if you can't choose the big, grand international trip, making that choice to say, OK, I'm going to Cleveland for a conference and I'm going to make this a, a learning experience. So being conscious of the choices as you do have available to you and, and making them. Um, but uh but yeah, those questions about, you know, if, if you are uh, able to, to travel with some frequency, do you go back to that same place or, or, or do you visit a new place? I know I, I wrestle with this quite a bit. I have to say I am a, 
a lover of London. I could probably go back to, to London again and again and again, which I know is just probably not the ideal scenario. And what's that quote on the mug that you have? Yeah, when a, when a man is tired of London, he's tired of, of life. So, and I'm, I'm not tired of London. <laughs> yeah, I think that your point about privilege is a an important point. And some of our examples have perhaps um, pointed folks to sort of larger, farther afield trips. But I do think that this same type of thinking about travel and thinking about place can apply to much shorter and much more local trips. I mean, even just going to the town next door, Mm -hmm. if you really kind of apply that lens of, let me go and see what it's like to, to be there for a day and to to settle in, that can be illuminating and can be educational in its own way. It's micro travel. Micro travel. Draw, like draw the analogy to micro learning. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And so, uh, I guess related to that, there is another choice beyond where is then length. And mm-hmm. again, there's a certain amount of privilege here. You know, you may not be able to always um, decide how long, but if you do, then there's. A, you know, a choice between, you know, a short trip versus sort of the longer settling in. I think, again, both can have their educational value to them. And I think like we were just saying there with, you know, micro travel, this this is sort of the distinction again between the, the fuller course being that longer stay versus the micro learning module being maybe you just have two days in, in a town or a city. Yeah. And like everything depends on your situation, depends on your context, depends on what you're out to achieve as to what is actually appropriate. So there's probably some concept of, uh, of travel design that's, you know, parallels with instructional design here. It really is kind of about that in a way. Another factor is just movement. How much are you going to be moving around versus uh, staying put? I think this sort of uh, aligns with what you know Kevin Kelly is saying about doing too much. He he's always in motion, moving from one place to another, or just doing a ton of stuff, uh, even in, in the same place that he's in. But I know over time, I've gotten more and more attached to the idea of going to one place and and really kind of staying put, mostly you know, and, and going deep and and not trying to hit. 10 different cities in a country, maybe hit one city and maybe a, a couple more on a smaller basis, you know, to, to get a, a, a deeper experience, move around less. Feels a little bit like a hedgehog versus fox sort of it decision I've, there. I've become more of a hedgehog, I guess, as I've, as I've gotten older. And then, of course, there's um, the issue, or I shouldn't say issue, the question, the, question, <laughs> the, yeah. the opportunity of travel companions. And, you know, we talk about in the learning world that the people learning with you in a course or a conference session, that's a heavy influencer of what you get out of that learning experience. And the same applies to travel. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I've been fortunate in my life to have some, some great travel companions, yourself included, uh, Salisa, but um, you have to make sure that who you're traveling with is a fit for you and also that the trip is a fit for whoever is traveling. Um, we have friends uh, who took uh, the father of one of them on a trip in, in Europe, and they just they did a boat trip on a river because it, he's quite a bit older and uh, really couldn't do a lot of rigorous sort of stuff while traveling. So that that worked for him. And he was a great, he's somebody who's a great companion in just about any um, situation. And so, you know, the, the three of them together on, on a uh, boat traveling as companions worked well. And there have been times where there are things that I would like to do, but I have to 
succumb to the realities of my travel companions. Mm. For example, I love a good long hike. And when we were at the Grand Canyon, I would have loved to have done sort of the, you know, rim to rim sort of day long hike. But I knew that was not going to work for one of the younger folks in our travel group. And so I opted for a shorter hike instead. And, you know, maybe someday I'll have the opportunity to go back and to do the longer hike. But it is about what adjustments do you make to travel so that it works for you and your companions. And I think here too, to go back to the peer learning example, there's opportunity for both giving and getting, right? And so there are things that I can share with our kids as we're traveling. And there are things that they can share with me that they can truly point out aspects of uh, the location where we are that I wouldn't have noticed on my own. And so I think that's a really powerful part of traveling with other people. And I think it can be a great part of traveling with kids, particularly younger kids who are just going to see the world a little differently and are going to kind of notice and engage with things that you might not be inclined to as an adult. And I'll say on the flip side, you know, our penchant for long hikes, I think, are the the bane of our children's existence. But uh, one of these days, I suspect they're going to look back and, and remember that that fondly. Travel is a field laboratory that learning business professionals can use to better understand and serve their learners. Whether a trip is short or long, near or far, done alone or with others, travel offers an opportunity to learn. At leadinglearning.com slash episode 365, you'll find show notes, a full transcript, other resources, and options for subscribing to the podcast if you're not already subscribed. We'd be grateful if you would take a minute to rate us on Apple Podcast or wherever you listen, especially if you enjoy the show. Salise and I personally appreciate reviews and ratings, and they help the podcast show up when people search for content on leading a learning business. And please spread the word about leading learning. You can do that in a one-on-one note or conversation with a colleague, or you can do it through social media. In the show notes at leadinglearning.com slash episode 365, you'll find links to connect with us on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook. Thanks again, and see you next time on the Leading Learning Podcast.